On this episode of Riding the 3x3, Patrick Fetch and I, Russ Heltman, dive into the 2020 NFL season wrap-up. Tampa Bay Buccaneers celebrate their Super Bowl title with a boat parade. Carson Wentz still wants out of Philadelphia, and we have an overarching theme from each one of us on the 2020 NFL season as a whole. Then we get into the National Basketball Association in the thick of their campaign. Two surprise teams and two surprise disappointments from the 30 franchises across the NBA. And then Patrick Fetch throws a litany of names at me in terms of surprise performers individually this season in the association. We close things up with our number one event of the weekend. What is the game or match or whatever you want to call the sporting contests happening across this green and blue little ball in the sky of space? We dive into the top ones this weekend to close out the show. Subscribe, rate, review, wherever you get your podcasts. Throw us a nice, nice rating. Keep supporting the Riding a 3x3 movement. Let's get into lane number one. Opening up lane number one on this weekend preview edition. Riding a 3x3. The NFL season is behind us. Patrick Fetch and I, your host, Russ Heltman, going to wrap up the 2020 NFL season, put a little tidy bow on everything, take a little peek at the Tampa Bay boat celebration down in Florida with the Buccaneers celebrating their title, a little Carson Wentz on the trade market. Lane number two, we dive into the National Basketball Association, kind of an overarching look at some surprises and some disappointments on the positive and negative side. I'll have the team side covered, and Pat has the player side covered with that duo pairing right there. We close out the show with something we're going to do, hopefully, every single Thursday show for moving into the spring and into the summer. Our number one event of the weekend, the one event we are going to be watching, of course, normally during the football season. That's always NFL week, whatever you want to name it, whatever is coming up on the docket. But now we are into the... uh, kind of uncharted waters, so to say, of the sports calendar with uh, March Madness on the horizon coming up just over the shoreline. Pat, welcome in, my man. I, I just feel like Tom Brady was a spirit animal for us in, in that in that <laughs> celebration the other day. He was absolutely sloshed, completely destroyed off of these celebration juices with Tampa Bay and the rest of his teammates. It was in uh it was an amazing sight to see Pat a little avocado tequila ice cream right there. Is there some or whatever joke he made on Twitter, something like that. There you go. And it just makes uh Tom all the more the goat when he finds these ways somehow to be even relatable to schmucks like me and you, to stooges <laughs> like us, right? We all can find our you know, see a little of ourselves in Tom Brady, which just makes it even the more uh Everything he does, you know, it, it brings him back down to earth, makes him so likable, even when it's so hard to like him at times because he just, uh, you know, bleeds through your teams uh, over and over and over again. Uh, but that being said, it was a great celebration. How jealous are you of the city of Tampa and their ability to do these boat parades, you know, let alone COVID, they were able to do this with the lightning when they won. I mean, that is just a spectacular time, is it not? It's a great idea. I haven't really, I haven't seen that really anywhere else. Have you, Pat? I don't see the don't boat parades very often. I, I guess they did it. Did they do it in like a? They they must have a river that runs through the city. Going I think it's into a the canal. Bay. Okay, the canal that makes sense. Anyway, there was great footage of that. We had Tom Brady. What do you, I got a little nervous there, Pat? Just just straight back flipping <laughs> the old Lombardi from one boat to another. How about that? That was the play of the century, and that's going to live on in championship lore forever. We've had a great string of NFL championship parades, right? Yeah. From, 
Pat Mahomes, you know, catching beers and shotgunning them, to Jason Kelsey and the Kelsey brothers taking their speeches, to now we got Tom throwing a Lombardi from boat to boat. What I mean, I was thinking about it all day. What happens if that Lombardi goes into the ocean? Do you think Tom is going straight superhero <laughs> Superman, dives full throttle before it goes and sinks? Or do you think they have a couple Joe Schmoes that were, you know, whatever, Brady's little bag men that were next to him are ready to get that? What do you think? Was that Blaine Gabbert? Was that one of those guys? That must have been, mm. it must have been the backup quarterbacks, wasn't it? That's, what it? that's the vibe I got from it. I think one of them was the guy that was carrying Brady when he was uh, sloshed coming off the boat. But you think, I guess he just goes into his trophy case and picks out another one, right? Or is it buoyant? <laughs> Do you think the Lombardi's buoyant? I think it might be buoyant. It's, I'm pretty sure it's hollow, so it's got that. Is it? It looks pretty heavy. I would be surprised. If it was hollow, then I would say, yeah, maybe you have a few moments. But if that thing is solid, then that thing is sinking, sinking like a brick and quickly. I don't know who's getting down there quick enough. Not sure how deep that canal is. It's crazy how they're going to fish that one back up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Man-made. So they, they should be able to get to it. We'll see. We will see what happens there. But thankfully, did not have to uh, send any scuba divers down into the Tampa Bay Canal to fetch the Lombardi Trophy. Tampa Bay Buccaneers get the job done, and they are your champions for the 2020 NFL season. Tying things up from that game, we had Patrick Mahomes announce that he will be getting surgery on his turf toe that uh, was hampering him throughout the playoffs. Shouts and salutes to him for playing through that and letting us see his great talents without getting that yanked away due to injury. And then on the flip side, you got Tom Brady doing a minor, I believe, knee surgery, knee operation that was announced today. Uh, it's been in the works for a few months. So they're going to tidy some things up, clip some loose ends. God, Pat, those football players, they are just... Built different. Only those guys are the ones that can play through these torn labrums, torn torn muscles legitimately, and and keep carrying on pursuing that glory. Shattered throats. What else happened? Yeah, was that Frank Ragnow with the Lions? <laughs> right. Broken ribs. Right from you know quarterbacks left and right. I I, I watched uh, my own soldier, my own Big Ben, the old man who will fall here soon. But it is it is wonderful when you get to watch, especially somebody at the quarterback position fight through that pain with that with that type of you know furiosity how serious it was you know some of these injuries for some of the quarterbacks how much precaution goes into it who knows but it is awesome to see i mean hockey players and football players i don't know if they make anybody else like them all right pat tying is this whole season up we kind of did the um number one moments that we will remember from this season but i, I posed to you in the rundown What's the one thing or one thought you'll take away from the season? So not necessarily something that definitively happened in a certain point in the game or anything like that, but an overarching theme. So for me, mine was that everything in this league can seemingly be streamlined. We don't need all of this off-season program. We don't need all of the intense training camp. We don't even really need all the intense practice time because we got a full-on experiment without all of it during the COVID era. And... Um, J.C. Treader uh, came out and said, I believe, yeah, J.C. Treader, the the uh, head of the players organization, player, NFLPA, is going to fight, he said, for reduced practice time, reduced time in the building, just reduction in the entire offseason program because, as he put it, there is no point to continue grinding 365 days a year when the toughest grind is happening throughout the season and you want to be able to stay as healthy as possible throughout it. I love that point, Russ. And when you pose this question to me, I think the answer that I came up with was, I guess, sort of similar. Because my answer was, I think this is the year that the NFL sort of 
felt more like a basketball league, mm-hmm. right? We had games on every which day, right? Whether it was a Monday, <laughs> Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, right? You could always come home to a game. And yeah, like you said, everything was much more, uh, I guess, what does this say? Like it flowed more. It was natural. It was just like guys out there, backyard football in a sense. And it felt more loose in ways. It felt, I mean, I guess it was choppy. There were definitely games that was choppy, especially with just the COVID protocols. But I do like what you said. I mean, the way that players like Patrick Mahomes have changed the landscape of how you can think about playing, you know, the position of quarterback. And you look at someone like what the Bills did with Josh Allen. I mean, Josh Allen is like Patrick Mahomes and the pedigree and the, the major league father and all that. But they saw similar... Uh, you know, similarities in the way that he's able to, in his arm talent, and said, hey, why not be very creative, play outside of the pocket, play outside of the frame of the play. Let's create literal plays that are meant to be broken and then just play off of the talent of our of the team around us. So I think that's a very exciting part of the league that's happening. I think we're going to find way more open offenses again, as uh, you know, even more so than we have now. But on top of that, I think it feels like basketball in that, players are getting so much more power. The the quarterback empowerment movement or the player empowerment movement, I guess Jalen Ramsey's already done it at the cornerback position. So I think that's a really interesting dynamic that's happening. We're going to see so much change. You know, we saw Matt Stafford even force his way out of Detroit, something we never thought would happen. We obviously know what's going on with Deshaun Watson in Houston. So I think that development, this is going to be a, uh, a banner year in the NFL as far as it comes with change that, uh, you know, that is a consequence of, the, of the co everything with the COVID year, mm-hmm. it's kind of the the sense, the essence when NFL quarterbacks became NBA superstars, so to say, with their trade powers and their their ability to uh, make the franchises bend to their whim uh, whenever they want to exercise that power. And it's a perfect segue, Pat, into our final topic, wrapping up the NFL season, kind of looking into the off season now. As we jump on the quarterback carousel, I'm going to have to get some theme music, some kind of circus music <laughs> to put under this for uh, the entirety of this offseason. Because according to Adam Schefter, he believes we could see a, a upwards of 16 quarterbacks change teams this offseason. Of course, the biggest name so far. So, Russ, I saw we- that number on Twitter. I think I saw a number upwards of 18. Yeah, 18, just, I think is what it was, yeah. I... I, I I don't even know how to, to frame that in my brain. That doesn't even seem real. That doesn't seem, I, I cannot believe 18. You're telling me 18 starting quarterback positions would be different than last year. That would have to be. I need to see a, a numbers of how, you know, what average over the last 10 years it's been of new court. You know, what do you think? I'd say it's 8 to 10, probably change every year. S- 7 to 10. I'm looking something at 7. Like I'm looking at more like 7, I'm thinking. You know, maybe mm-hmm. you get like five rookies, a couple trades. You know, I bet some years it's even. Like two or three, yeah. It, or maybe, it, yeah maybe this is the know. most it, it, I've I can remember in our lifetimes, at least since I've started following the sport of football. The carousel is full of a lot of names, a lot of teams, and it is spinning very fast. And only two names have gotten off of it so far: uh, in Matthew Stafford heading to L.A. and Jared Goff coming back to Detroit for Matthew Stafford. And now let's get a look at Mr. Carson Wentz, Pat, who has definitively requested a trade. He feels his time in Philadelphia has run its course. Obviously, there was big problems with the coaching staff last year with the front office, a lot of miscommunication. And now the Eagles are essentially trying to get rid of Carson Wentz. 
by a quote unquote trade deadline of March 19th. That's when he is due that, uh, that very valuable, very vaunted $10 million roster bonus, which triggers on the third day of the new league year on March 19th. So the Eagles going to be trying to move Wentz within the next 30 to 38 days. And we have two teams, Pat, that have reportedly moved to the head of the pack, the Chicago Bears and the Indianapolis Colts. Now, I'll pose this question to you. What value would you put on a guy like Carson Wentz? Is he worth a first multiple first-round pick package like the one that Matthew Stafford brought, which no. is reportedly what the Eagles are looking for for their franchise signal card? It's, it is so hard, Russ. I want to say that there's value in Carson Wentz, and I want to believe in him just because I saw what he did. But then I saw on Twitter, you know, we just talked about all the fun things we see on Twitter, but I saw a video of his interceptions this year. Bad. And uh, really bad. <laughs> they were they were worse than bad. They were terrible. <laughs> Some of them, he was just throwing them up. Like, he was lost, broken the season. I, I, I don't know. It looked like uh, it, it was just bad. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. So he is mentally broken, I think, last year. But can you almost just throw it away, right? When you have such a bad year coming off of certain changes in the COVID year and this and that, you give him a change of scenery, a change of confidence, I, I think things can be different. But that being said, with the contract that he's due and what he's shown in the last year, I, I do not know how you can give two first picks to eat that much money unless the Eagles are very willing to eat a big portion of that contract. And with a younger quarterback in Jalen Hurts, maybe they are. Is that is that part of the discussion? Do you know? Well, they're going to take a, a big cap hit. It's upwards of $20 million if they were to move on from Carson Wentz. So I imagine they're not going to be wanting, seeing as they want to trade him before having to owe him the $10 million roster bonus, they're not going to want to add on any extra money, any extra debt to that contract. And the new team that will be acquiring Carson Wentz uh, it will be on the books to pay him $47 million across the next two seasons. Pat, I wouldn't give up. I, I mean, I'd laugh in your face if you tried to get two first-round picks from me. I'd start a little chuckle if you if you uh, even brought up a first-rounder at all. If we start the conversation at a late second, early third-round pick, maybe with multiple of those across a few years, I might take a stab at Carson Wentz if I'm Frank Reich. But I'm not touching this if I'm the Chicago Bears. Are you kidding me? Are you are are you are you high on cocaine? Like what what have you been doing the last three years? You've been working with an incompetent quarterback who's playing way above his uh, who's playing in a, in a deep end way above his head. He's he's six feet below water, and that's exactly the situation that Carson Wentz would be entering. I don't think anyone can fix Carson Wentz besides Frank Reich, the only guy he has had consistent success with in his NFL career back in the the one one 18 months of good play that Carson Wentz had it was very unsustainable a and really only done for the most part under Frank Reich the basis of Carson Wentz's contract the reason they paid him that money was because he had an MVP run in a setup and a situation where they converted third and long Pat at a rate that is completely unsustainable across a four to five year stretch in the NFL. Sure, you can convert those third and longs at a high, high clip for 10 to 12 games, but you're not going to do it across an entire contract. And we have seen that definitively play out over the past two years, especially in 2020, where he finished 34th in completion percentage, first in interceptions, first in sacks. 
He had the second most turnover-worthy plays on the season with 13, had the highest rate of negatively graded plays in the season by PFF. I don't know what's salvageable here, Pat. We watched him last year. Your team played him one week. My team played him another week. I saw definitively early on in the season when this stuff was kind of just getting kind of washed aside as, oh, he'll get rid of it. He'll 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 get over it. This was not a quarterback that's going to be getting over these issues anytime soon. And I sure as hell would not be trusting the Chicago coaching staff to work with another quarterback, seeing as what they did with our guy, Mr. Trubisky, over the past four years. And and old Nick Foles last year, old Nicky. He was uh, he was he was a joy to watch in a Bears uniform, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the game that I got to see Carson Wentz play my team, and he did throw four picks and looked awful. <laughs> but that the defense did also give up four touchdowns to a rookie wide receiver, and so you know I think the problems run deep in Philadelphia, and so yeah, I do want to give some leeway to Carson. It's going to be super interesting wherever he goes in the change of scenery. I do think there's one team dumb enough to take the bite at Carson Wentz, though. I just don't know if they have any first-round picks to do it, and that's the Houston Texans. I think that would be a beautiful match, but uh, I don't know how that works out with a Deshaun trade You know that is looming. But uh, as someone who you know might be able to clear money, they could kind of just trade, trade money, but I guess they'd probably both incur some dead cap along with those contracts they would pick, so I don't know if that uh, works out with the money whatsoever, but... I don't know. I don't know where he's going to go, but yeah, like you said, the two first-round picks, you have to be super confident if you're the Colts and Frank Wright and his ability to turn him around. And if you're the Bears, I don't know why you even picked up the phone. You've already got your own problem. You've already got enough problems at quarterback. I don't know why you want to create another one. It's just, uh, if you're the Bears, I don't know. With the Bears, that's a whole podcast. I'd have to do our, like <laughs> I'd have to do my own research. We'd have to focus on that itself. But focusing back in on the win situation, Tim McManus of ESPN covers the Eagles uh, beat writer for ESPN brought up an interesting idea. How about packaging Wentz and Zach Ertz together, Pat? Maybe you send them both to Indianapolis. Um, they have enough cap space to um, absorb Ertz's $8.25 million. They're both best friends. You can kind of inject that offense right into you can hit the ground running with a Frank Reich led offensive attack spearheaded with uh, Carson Wentz and Zach Ertz. What do you think? I don't hate it. You can focus on just getting one more receiver in there. Pittman had a really good year with Rivers last year. Came I think on late losing, too, yeah. Yeah, they're losing a lot of production on TY, so I think they do need to get one more really great perimeter or one more guy to stretch the field. But um, Paris Campbell was great too. I think he got injured, you know, but mm-hmm. uh, maybe his production was just really far down. But the, I like what you, you know, I don't hate the idea at all. I mean, I think that makes a very good uh, game managing offense at the least. And with how good the defense has been at times in Indianapolis, they just have really great players all over the field. So they could only be a couple a couple pieces away if they get someone like Wentz in there to play above average. I mean, they had a really great year with uh, a Phil Rivers that I thought was meh but you know still was able to perform with that offense that strategy in the town around him so they have such a great offensive line too that you have to think that will instill some confidence in Carson as well Mm -hmm. and maybe you could you could get the compensation to that first round pick level if Wentz and Ertz are packaged together but like who is who is offering these first round picks, Pat? Where are they? Please come forward because I want to know. Like, who is actually talking about offering first round picks for Carson Wentz, a guy who has played eighteen months of good football 
in the NFL. It is it is absolutely mind blowing. Carson's agent or, or yeah. you know whoever's on the, the Eagles GM. <laughs> how he and how he and Carson's agent just bidding against each other in a, in a dark right. room on, on, with, on Twitter with their best friend beat reporter whoever's willing to float that information out there for him. Exactly, exactly. Well, that wraps up lane number one tying a bow in the 2020 NFL season. We will monitor that Carson Wentz situation, and next week we'll be diving into the Deshaun Watson scenario. A little bit deeper, see what uh, what's percolating from that situation. But cruising into lane number two, the National Basketball Association. Pat has the surprising and disappointing players, two that he has on that category. And I have the two surprising and disappointing teams. Let's start off, let's, let's get the bad team out of the way. We'll start off with the disappointment here. My biggest disappointment in the NBA so far, the Washington Wizards. Last uh, in the East right now, they are 6-16. Just an abject disaster of a start to the Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal eras. Doesn't seem very salvageable, Pat. Does not seem very salvageable. Tied for last and wins, actually, with the Detroit Pistons, who are two games back in the loss column from their brethren, the Washington Wizards. They can't defend a lick. They can't defend anyone, Pat. They are giving up 120.9 points per game. They are one of the least efficient defenses in the entire NBA. The Davis Bertans contract looks like a straight albatross. Gave that man $80 million, and he can't defend a lick, nor does it seem like he can keep up that immense, immense pace with the three-point shot last year. Russell Westbrook is averaging close to a triple-double, Pat, but it is one of the least efficient triple-doubles you will ever see. And it's just, I just feel bad. I just feel bad for my guy, Bradley Beal, leading the NBA in scoring by a wide margin. And it doesn't really matter because this team can't defend anyone. They are very poorly coached. They lost their best center and best front court piece in Thomas Bryant early in the season. And now Bradley Beal, he basically has to average 33 points per night for them to have a chance. Yeah, you made uh, a, gr- a great point there with how bad that they are there are a few players that i wanted to pick on on that roster but i think you did a good job you i don't think this is much of a, a surprise though we talked about the wizards and the trade this offseason getting russell westbrook in there do you feel bad for russell westbrook no no i, I it's tough <laughs> for me it's tough for me sitting where i am pat to feel bad for a guy sitting on a little 47 million dollar net 40 million dollar plus go. nest egg this season there you go. Yeah, he can he can take the ball, do whatever he wants, and you know put jack up whatever shots he needs with that type of money. And he's still hunting for that triple double. Credit to him. The man's got persistence. That he is. At a crisp forty one percent field goal percentage and thirty four percent from three. Still hunting, baby. Still hunting. Nineteen nine and nine for Russell Westbrook. Very, very inefficient on a very, very bad. Washington Wizards team that Bradley Beal apparently Pat has come out and said this week he will not be requesting a trade from this season. Uh, I know that he has given a strong inkling that he wants to at least stay this season because of outside life stuff, you know, with not you don't want to travel and you don't want to move at the trade deadline during a pandemic, all that stuff with his family. So I get that, but man, at some point like you got to look in the mirror and think this 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 team hasn't won 50-plus games since before the 1980s. We have no path to getting better. You're paying Russell Westbrook 40-plus million dollars over the next two seasons. You've already paid Davis Bertans, and now your your number one center prospect uh, has a completely devastating season-ending injury. Things are just 
coming up uh, coming up snake eyes too often for the Washington Wizards, and you hate to see it. It's a team that that I, I would I would personally like to see play better. It was fun watching them in that kind of uh, funeral dress up show a few years back in the playoffs when they went up against Isaiah Thomas and the Boston Celtics. That was a fun Wizards team with Sean Wall and Bradley Beal, and now I just wish that team was back. I wish they didn't trade John Wall. That was uh, seemingly a very very bad decision by uh, by the GM. And powers that be in Washington, and they are in the doldrums of the of the East Basement. Could be good though, Pat. This is a loaded draft at the top, and if you're gonna, if you you don't want to be mediocre in the NBA, you either want to be really good or really bad. Right about that, absolutely right about that. And we are seeing a very uh, important change of the guard. It seems like, uh, no pun intended, with a lot of the really athletic, explosive guards. You just mentioned a few there with Russell Westbrook and John Wall. We're getting new guys in there like John Morant, soon Cade Cunningham, and you know the likes of Jalen Suggs. So there is help on the way, but you know you have to sort of feel bad and reminisce of the times when John Wall and Russell Westbrook were able to control the games they will. Uh, one is doing a better job than the other at adjusting their game to their age and lack of explosiveness now, though. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how Russell Westbrook fizzles. Not sure... Who's going to want him on a roster going forward whatsoever at the price point he's at? Wizards, my biggest disappointment, sadly, had them as the eighth seed in the East playoffs this year. It does not look like they will be even fighting for the play-in, mm. let, alone, let alone getting a little advantage with that top-tier spot in the wild. Yeah, we'll call, it, we'll call that the wild card round of the NBA playoffs. That's what I'm going to da- dub it, the wild card round. Biggest surprise, Pat. My biggest surprise team of the NBA season so far I was a little bit, I wouldn't say I was down on them. I had them in the mid-tier of the Western playoffs. But my preseason number five seed Utah Jazz currently leading the NBA overall in wins and just dominant play at the moment. 20-5, and they, along with the Los Angeles Lakers, are the only teams in the NBA with 20 wins this season. Utah has won 16 of their past 17 games. They haven't lost in almost a month. They are cruising despite the loss of Mike Conley, who kind of spearheaded the beginning of this nice season-long run that, uh, that the Utah Jazz have been on by showing a nice connection with Rudy Gobert. The guy got paid this offseason. I got to eat a little bit of crow, Pat. I dunked all over the Jazz for paying Rudy Gobert. Said, why would you do this to it with a guy that can't really affect the offensive game uh, at a high, high level like we see other big-name centers uh, such as Carl Anthony Towns, Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid. But the thing is, Pat, this guy does affect the offensive game at a high, high level. You just have to be paying very close attention to see it. Number one in the NBA in screen assists. Number one in the NBA in points created off of screens. That is Utah center Rudy Gobert. The guy is a straight force. He's a lob rim running threat that really creates a lot of gravity on the floor. People talk about Steph Curry having gravity outside of the three-point arc. Well, Rudy Gobert is the same way inside the paint. When he gets rolling on a Joe Angle screen and roll, on a Mike Conley screen and roll, on a Donovan Mitchell screen and roll, it sucks that entire defense into the interior uh, of that paint, and it allows a lot of juicy jump shot opportunities for those three-point shooters on this team, of which there are many, and of which they are hitting at a very high rate. Namely, uh, now guys like Donovan Mitchell, Bojan Bogdanovic back up for over 40%, and Jordan Clarkson. He's kind of been the straw stirring the drink a little bit in the margins. The 
leading favorite. I would be shocked if anybody catches up to him in the sixth man of the year race. He is averaging uh, over 15 points per game on highly efficient shooting. Been a great spark plug for them off the bench, Pat. This is a true contender. And in a season where I thought the Lakers might carry the torch all year long as that kind of de facto got to get us off the mountaintop type of team, the, uh, the, old, the old Utah Jazz might be jockeying atop that mountaintop with the LA Lakers all season long. You're stealing a bunch of my thunder over here, Russ, because I was going to bring up a couple of those players and my surprising players, but I'm happy you brought up Jordan Clarkson because absolutely, I think he should definitely be considered sixth man of the year right now. Averaging almost 18 points, he's almost shooting 39% from three right now, which is about four percentage points better than his career average. He's doing wonderful for that team. He really is playing that sort of Lou Will or you know Jam- uh, Jamal Crawford role, if you will, just being an absolute spark plug off the bench, really giving them all the production they need, giving their guys the rest when they need them. So uh, he's been the perfect complement to what they have at their starting five and their sort of star players and guys that they can revolve around. But uh, yeah, love it. We, we can skip all the negative players. I had a few bad ones. I will, we'll run through it real quick. The only ones I was really going to bring up, the Nuggets. The Nuggets sitting at 13 and 11. Think of some surprisingly bad performances from Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. to be specific. Jokic is absolutely carrying that squad right now, going mm-hmm. for like 40 and 20 triple doubles almost, just absolutely putting the team on his back right up there with the MVP discussions with LeBron James. And so without uh, without Jokic, that team's in a world of hurt. We I think we just expected improvement around the board from that team that we're just not seeing right now. Thank God they have the Joker keeping it together for him. But uh, yeah, Jordan Clarkson, I think, was one of the main surprising guys. Love that you brought up the Jazz. We're both eating crow with that one. And they're kind of like, they took a year off. I think what's surprising to me is I thought last year was going to be their year to improve a bunch. But even as they, you know, had sort of a shaky year, obviously weird conditions happened throughout. But Bogdanovich has sort of found his stroke again, gotten way better again. Yeah. And I think even Conley, he almost confused things from what that team had going in the years before in Donovan Mitchell's first two years. So it seems like they've sort of got back to who they were in a sense, guys really finding their roles, bringing their best to the table for them. Yeah, the thing with Conley was in Memphis, there was never a lob threat. What, like the best lob threat they had was maybe Brandon Wright for like two years. And and, and uh, I will not fault you if nobody listening to this knows who Brandon Wright is. So the bottom line he has never had a guy like Rudy Gobert to throw lobs to. He's not used to throwing lobs in his 10-year NBA career before moving on to the Utah Jazz. So it took a little bit of time. It's kind of like the – they kind of feel like the Browns a little bit, Pat, where we were a year too early a little bit on the Browns. We got a little ahead of our skis a little bit. Not me. But last season, everybody was like reticent, me included. And unfortunately, I stay, stuck to that reticism. Uh, to embrace the Browns, to embrace the new coaching staff, to embrace all of the complete updates and fine-tuning that they had done, this is the kind of same situation here where everything had to kind of gel and coagulate in that first year before turning into a great concoction in year two. Couldn't have said it better myself, Russ. Couldn't have said it better myself. Should I Should I move on to some other uh, surprising players? Yeah, give me your other uh, surprising player. Sure, I've got I've got a bunch of them. I thought this might be fun. Throw some names out there because I know you're gonna have some fun things to say. But uh, first one, Colin Sexton. Mm-hmm. How about let's give a little shout out to the guy up in uh, in Cleveland 
they put a nice little combination together up there with him and Darius Garland. Sexland combo. They've done a really nice job developing and improving this year. I think people were a little weary on how that draft pick was going to turn out for the Cavs. A very high-volume shooter, wasn't playing with a lot of productiveness, and wasn't really taking over games like we saw him do in college. Give him another year, though. Give him some experience. He's been awesome at times this year. They're still struggling as a team, and he still has his lulls and down games. But moments like he had against the uh, Brooklyn Nets, absolutely heroic performance. I think he had like you know 40-something in a double overtime game, made clutch three after clutch three, uh, three late in that game to spoil Kyrie's return and uh, in one of his games. I think that was one of James Harden's first games back with him too, but he's averaging almost 23 a game, just doing a really good job being really dynamic with the ball. What do you think about the, the play up in, uh, in Cleveland? You, you excited about those kids? I love what I've seen out of Colin Sexton. Hit a little bit of a, of a lull here the past few games, but over the past 12 still averaging well over 22 points per. I'd like to see that assist number come up a little bit, and, and that's the question for me is, is who is going to be that main playmaker on this team? Because you don't really see that gene a lot with Garland, and you don't see it as much as you'd like to see it with Colin Sexton, but the scoring is there, and he's he's coming along nicely. I, I think they've hit a bit of a skid with Larry Nance going down. He's such a huge Swiss Army knife piece on the defensive end of the floor for them, uh, getting deflections and creating steals and such like that. But it, it's a it's a young developing team, and it's good to see it's good to see that pick that they traded Kyrie Irving for turn into something very nice. There you go. And props to the Cavs. For- noticing that Colin Sexton, I think a lot of the NBA executives, they've fallen in love with this idea of a ball-dominant, uh, high-scoring point guard. You know, maybe in the likes of the Donovan Mitchell and Russell Westbrook and all these guys we've seen throughout the years dominate the league. But I think perhaps to them then seeing more of a score, maybe more of an off-ball two-guard out of Colin Sexton. And, you know, the Cavs don't project to be a great team near in the future, but they could probably get some good value out of Sexton from, you know, a playoff team chasing a, a final piece here in the next couple of years. So I think it's still going to be a win for them as a franchise, that pick. Yeah, and Jared but, uh, Allen getting him too. That was a massive, massive, massive win that we discussed a few weeks back. Absolutely. So they're going to get some great assets, I think, in the next couple of years whenever they decide to move on and load up for the future. Maybe they decide to hold on to one of these guys. Either way, it's going to be a win for the franchise as long as they handle it right. Still got to handle the assets right, though. But uh, let's move along to a couple other guys I really like. Do you want to talk about Christian Wood? I know you were on this uh, preseason, but he's been absolutely dynamic, especially since they've gotten James Harden out of there. Him really stepping up into the role and played really, really well with John Wall and the likes. He seems to be able to play really well with other big men, especially like Boogie Cousins, who aren't quite as uh, f- you know fleet of foot as he used to be. Averaging 22-10 and 10 with almost a 25 PER. I know you love your advanced stats. Been one of the best players in the NBA this year. Props to you, my brother. Good call on that one. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Pat. I appreciate that. I'll give myself a little pat, pat on the back right there. Pun intended. Christian Wood. Unfortunately, my guy, my fantasy maven, my fantasy roller, went out with an ankle injury. I, I think it was last weekend. It looked pretty scary. He's week to week with it right now. So hopefully get him back on the floor uh, and continue this stellar age 25 season. He's one of the catalysts on offense for this Houston Rockets team. Not necessarily going to give you a whole lot on the other end of the floor, but he was well on his way to jockeying for what his first career all-star berth. I don't think he's going to get there now because of obviously the injury and not enough games played, but very efficient, like Pat just mentioned, 22 and 10, averaging 55 
38% from the field, shooting 42% from three. Christian Wood was lights out. Hopefully he gets back on the floor very soon. Absolutely. And that was a fun Rockets team. I like to see teams sort of move on from their massive stars and still uh, still find a way to improve in weird ways. So they've been a fun team. Yeah, defense um, got, funny enough, defense got way better when James Harden left. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thought? Who would have thought? I didn't see that one coming. But other than that, I don't have any other big names. I know Zach Levine has been absolutely balling. He's at like 28 and 10 a game, I believe, something like that. Uh, maybe I'm seeing this wrong. No. But uh, looking at the wrong stats. But he's absolutely been electric for uh, for the Bulls up there. He's doing great. Give him a shout out. But uh, Jeremy Grant, averaging like 25 for the Pistons, been kind of a fun surprise. I'm just Even waiting the Pistons, on the Jeremy uh, Grant st- wall to hit, and it just won't hit, Pat. He won't hit the wall. Well, I mean, someone's got to put the ball to the bucket for that team, and it might as well be him. So, uh, you know, no one else is really demanding the demanding the basketball on that Pistons roster. So it'll be exciting to see how he can going forward. De'Aaron Fox always loved him. He seems to just get a little bit better every year. What I'd like to see is De'Aaron Fox keep up uh, this consistency throughout the year and be really good late in the year. I think that Kings team always has the potential to be fun if they can get uh, frisky late in the year. We'd love to see them make a playoff run with the young core they have. Zach Levine, I love that pick. De'Aaron Fox, a lot of young guards popping off, Pat. And and Zach Levine and De'Aaron Fox are those... It's going to be... Uh, not uh, De'Aaron Fox, Zach Levine and Trey Young. That's going to be an interesting battle in the All-Star ballots, which uh, we will dive into in the next couple weeks. But... Like you mentioned, Levine averaging 28-5-5 on a 22.6 PER from a guard is very, very impressive. Over 51% from the field, 42.5% from three, uh, averaging a healthy, healthy amount of attempts right there. And he and Kobe White the other night became the first teammates in NBA history to have eight plus threes in the same game. Levine dropped 46 in that one. And uh, coming off of this past three-game stretch, Pat, him and Michael Jordan, the only Bulls players in the past 23 years to score 120 points in a three-game span. Been a lot of fun. I've watched a lot of Bulls this year because I have Levine on my fantasy team. He's been a lot of fun to watch. I love Bulls basketball. Wow, what a pickup that would have been. Sounds like you were absolutely killing your fantasy uh, fantasy league. How's it's a, that? It's a lot of good studs, Pat. And then we got like uh, Christian Wood injured. We got Mike Conley injured. We got like half the roster injured, and then we got got a lot of key contributors. So hopefully, mm. get the fellas off the uh, get the, get the fellas on the mend and close out the season strong on that front. But we're gonna close out this episode strong with our number one events or game of the weekend that we will be watching. I will kick us off here with UFC 258. I cannot wait, Pat, for Kamaro Usman versus Gilbert Burns, the main event of the evening. Usman defending his welterweight title for the third time as the champion in that division against Gilbert Burns. Both of them currently sporting the number one longest win streaks in their respective division. Usman cooking at 12 straight victories. If he were to win this match, he will hold the all-time record for most consecutive wins in the welterweight division. There's a lot of... uh, drama there was angst as to whether this fight would actually happen pat with it getting canceled last july we all know what happened there burns tested positive for covid at ufc 251 jorge masvidal gets slotted in a week on a week's notice we got a great fight a great war there with with usman going after the foot stomps a little bit that was the uh, main theme of the night and now we get to see him versus gilbert burns i cannot wait pat 
to see what we get out of this welterweight battle. Arguably the best one in this division since George St. Pierre versus Tiago Alves back at UFC 100 in July 2009. Cannot wait, baby. Get your popcorn ready. There we go, Russ. That was quite the promo. We need to send that one to Dana. Yeah, White send himself. that to Dana. Give me a job, Dana. Boom. <laughs> See, I'm not a big. I don't follow the UFC closely. I kind of just let. Uh, you're a let McGregor the crowd warrior. That's what you're. You're a McGregor guy. <laughs> I, I let the crowd tell me when to watch, and I, I'll tell you what, Russ. I think you just convinced me to. Uh, to this find will live up, Pat. Story. This will live up to its hype. Gilbert Burns, Usman. This is going to be a legit war. I promise you. And there's no reason I'm paying Dana this uh, this time around after what he did on that ESPN Plus stunt with the last one. I don't know if you struggle with it, but yeah, people well were having some what... problems with some expensive material. Not not happening. Absolutely, absolutely. But uh, basketball this weekend—that's really the only other thing we got going. So that's what I was going to look into. Really, the real NBA game I think that's on the on the docket Saturday night. We got the Nets in Golden State in San Francisco. Ooh to play at the Chase Center to go against Steph Curry and the Warriors. That should be a fun one. Just to see KD on his new super team go and play the Warriors. Steph has been absolutely magnificent this year. He may, he may make a run at the MVP. Who knows if he dominates with the Warriors, get them into like a top six seed. People might just give a little bit of nostalgia pick. But he's been awesome to watch going nuclear at times. Would love would love to see Steph take down the Nets. Hopefully everybody's healthy. Hopefully we get a real good game in that one. But uh, that's what's on my docket. Saturday night, I'll be watching that. Fantastic stuff. Oh, man. It's one of two, obviously one of two battles between these teams this season. At Golden State, 8.30, prime time. Get your popcorn ready. I think that's going to be the first game Kevin Durant will be playing in after he returns from his close contact situation with COVID-19. Whew, that's going to be a fun one, Pat. Steph Curry, another one of those guys that, I mean, you're not going to put him on the surprise list, but the way he's come off that injury, he looks electric. Some Already some huge games this season, 50-plus points. I think, I think Steph Curry is number one on my favorite players to have ever watched. Uh, when he gets hot, there's just no one better. Everything, you can just expect every shot from every crook and nanny and corner of the court to go in. No matter how ridiculous it looks, uh, he is he's one of my favorite ever. And I think uh, him and Pat Mahomes probably share a little bit of cross-sport similarities in that sense. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think you can tell where my fandom rests with those two. No doubt. And, and- like Steph Curry is having a mirror image season, Pat, to his unanimous MVP run in 2015-16. Averaged 30.1 points per game in that contest. Well, this contest, 29.6 on 43% three-point shooting, 11.3 attempts per game from beyond the arc, shooting 49% from the field overall. Uh, it, it's essentially almost... As good as his uh, 2015-16 season from beyond the arc, he hit 5.13s at a 45% clip on 11 attempts. You know, this season, down to 4.8-43% on 11 attempts. You're slacking, Steph. Get it together, man. We'll see if he can get it together in our layoff over the weekend as we watch him and the Brooklyn Nets battle off against each other in the Bay Area. That is going to be a lot of fun. We got UFC 258. NFL season is over, but the sports scene carries on and cruises through with a bunch of great action. For Patrick Fetch, I'm Russ Heltman, wishing everyone a very happy, healthy weekend. We'll talk to you on Monday.